space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him ends, and they have. He has the hat-trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat-trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're on the angle. And what a goal! What a goal! Hello, everyone. Rev Brad here, and you're listening to Soccer Chaplain United's podcast, From the Touchline. Today, I have a special friend and guest with me, Coach Brian Schultz. Uh, Coach Brian is head boys and girls soccer coach at Valor Christian High School. And today, we're going to talk a little strategy, talk a little coaching philosophy and spiritual formation. And we're going to have a little bit of fun here today. So, Brian, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Brad. Um, thanks for driving one mile over here to <laughs> come sit in my office. Oh, it's arduous, especially, especially with the We are six feet apart. So. We are, with masks on, uh, or at least we've got these puff things in front of the mics that will help us with our spitting. So, well, Brian, you and I have known each other for a long time. How long have we known each other for? I don't know. We met on that men's retreat a oh, long man. time ago, almost 20 years ago. Was that 20? No, 2009? Oh, was it? Okay. Eight. So it wasn't as long as I thought. Seven. Feels like forever. It does feel like forever. <laughs> so I don't think we, we started going to that church, and I didn't speak in that in that men's retreat till I later it, on. I think it was probably 2007, 2008. Somewhere, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. Do What do you remember from that? Do you remember what I talked on? Uh, yeah, pretty sure you were teaching on David, um, and it's really good stuff, and Afterwards, you spotted me in the lobby uh, wearing my club gear that was, I think, from Colorado Rush at the time. Yeah, and, yeah, it was. Which that already put up, you know, walls. Oh, because uh, I, co- I had coached for Real, so yeah. I was like, who and is this guy? you came over and said, how'd the talk go? And I said, it's hard to go wrong with the Bible. And so... <laughs> You were fishing for a compliment, and that was the best I could give you. I don't think I was fishing for a compliment. I just think I was looking for feedback. That's my nature. But thanks for the compliment if that was one. Yes. Knowing you, you were asking for feedback. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, maybe maybe I did need a little puff of pride or something. I I didn't know anyone there, so I was kind of like, I mean, yeah, I didn't really know anyone there. But I think that's where the craziness started, right? We. Did we play disc golf that weekend? We did. And you're like, on hole 17, you're like, okay, for this hole, you got to throw <laughs> while you're on someone's top of someone's yeah, shoulders. Yeah, or we, did a, we did a piggyback hole and oh a left-handed gosh. hole. And it was up in Estes Park, so we were going up and down the, the ridges yeah. and through the mountain. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Elk beautiful were bugling. Course. and <laughs> <laughs> We don't do that anymore because now we're ultra-competitive and we don't... No, do any shenanigans? No, no more fun with the game anymore. Oh, I know it's all it's winter. Winter takes all. You know, the other day I was playing with a former player of yours, uh, Grant Adams, oh, and yeah. my He's disc. Still in town. Yeah, my disc was uh, partially. It was it was on the out of bounds line, oh. and so I had to tell him the story. I had to tell him the, the story. A, you are a rule follower. I said. I said. I owe. Uh, Coach Schultz, at some point, I owe him a stroke somewhere in life because I didn't really know the rules. Uh, and so, what point. did you do? Did you take the stroke? Oh, no, I was on the line, so I was, I was still in bounds. <laughs> that, that was the whole thing that happened. 
I know, but nowadays, knowing okay. knowing better, uh, we better start talking soccer about this call <laughs> anyway. But uh, Brian, no, we've known each other for a long time, good friends, and uh, I, I'm, I'd love to hear, it's always fun for me to hear a little bit of your story, your background, where you grew up, how, how you got into soccer, um, because you and I grew up in a generation, at least where I grew up in Michigan, soccer was not big at all. American football was... And so all the time and attention was there and basketball um, and soccer didn't really blow up until, you know, I mean, there were there weren't even there wasn't even club soccer from what I can remember in my in my days growing up. But tell us a little bit of, of your story growing up and, and how how did you get into this role of coaching? We'll, we'll get there eventually. But tell us the beginning story. Yeah, um, I grew up in West Virginia and in the southernmost county, Mercer County, and there was not soccer uh, back then uh, when I was five. And that, and when I was six years old, um, my dad's cousin, Tommy, uh, came over to the house and said, hey, I'm starting a soccer team, and we're going to join a league that's happening over in Bluefield. And so far, there's only like three teams in it. It's going to be us and another team uh, from Bluefield, and I don't remember where the third team was from, and so we basically just played each other, uh, you know, like three or four <laughs> times each, and Tommy didn't know anything about soccer, and the uh, Bluefield team uh, was actually coached by a guy uh, from Honduras or Guatemala, and I'm pretty sure they beat us like 12-0 every game. It was pretty disheartening. The other team was, it was pretty even, but uh, I fell in love with soccer. I actually began... You know, playing in my yard all the time. Uh, had a little cocker spaniel uh, named Jr. and um, he would actually come and take the ball off me and move it around the yard with his nose, and he was really hard to to catch. And uh, I would take it back from him, and then he'd chase me down. And we'd play for you know twenty, thirty minutes until we were both just exhausted. <laughs> and that's how I learned how to dribble and cut the ball back sharply and uh keep keep away from the from jr (laughs) and i've never been like a fancy player i was just always a a a player that knew how to make sharp cuts and get the ball off my foot so where did you get thrown into the field first were you like did you play all over like yeah i was uh um I, i guess for what the kids uh you know from like six to 12 i was pretty pretty decently skilled so they always put me in the center mid and uh, center forward and uh, just played there scored a lot of goals wow wow and so did you play in high school then um no so you know it, it was actually crazy I um because there was no club soccer because soccer was so brand new in that part of West Virginia um I really hadn't developed any technique and I actually was 12 years old and still kicked the ball with my toe uh, when I was <laughs> when I was shooting and and those kinds of things it was uh, um, you know, pretty crazy what I had learned how to do, um, you know, could score off of corners with the toe and, and, and that kind of stuff. But, um, I remember, uh, we moved to Richmond, Virginia, which was a hotbed of soccer when I was 12. And, uh, that was the first time I'd ever heard of like a travel team Mm. and, um, joined that travel team with, uh, coach Tony Santos, uh, who also ended up being the high school coach. And, um, got to travel all over and that's really where uh, my game for the first time I was receiving quality instruction quality coaching and um, you know just learned so much and so through uh, all through um, you know eighth ninth tenth grade uh, those were that was a big 
big time for me in my development as a player. Wow. Did Richmond at the time have a pro team? Um, I, I don't th- think that they did, no. I mean, today uh, they've got the Richmond kickers. I don't yeah, remember when maybe they the, started. Maybe the strikers. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Um, I, I didn't have uh, a lot to, um, to do with, at, at the time with the pro game or anything like that. So, um, but 40 minutes down the road was University of Virginia, and that's back when Bruce Arena was, you know, winning all the championships, yeah. and it was always them in Santa Clara. It seemed like every year in the in the championships, and um, I got to grow up, you know, going out to those games, and I got to see players like Agus and 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 Ben and Harks, and um, just yeah, just amazing players uh, wow. back in the day. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. And, I mean, you and I grew up in a generation when we didn't have television, Internet. We couldn't watch football games from overseas. I mean, we were lucky to even be able to watch a World Cup games. Yeah, uh, rabbit ears and watching through the fuzz. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Do you, what, what are some of your earliest, uh, you know, high-level soccer viewing moments? Like, do you, was there a World Cup or some, some game or person that comes to mind at all? Yeah, um, I mean, for me, it was probably when I was in college, actually, because I had I had never gotten to see the pro game. Um, once in high school, I remember we went up to Baltimore and got to see Tattoo play in the pro indoor. So that was that was pretty cool um, to do that and experience that. And um, and then in college, um, you know, I was in school from ninety to ninety four. Um, okay. Actually, ninety six. It was the six year plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my dad joked with me at the end of uh, college graduation at the party. He's like, "You know, Brian, you've been in college for more than one quarter of your life." It's <laughs> like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> oh, oh, I was on the five year plan, so I get you. Yeah. I feel you there. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, um, that ninety four World Cup. Oh my gosh, uh, just I remember thinking like, these are the guys that I wa- I've watched. Um, uh, you know, at UVA and other places. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, after the 90 World Cup, which was, I remember watching us lose, I think, to Czech, was it Czechoslovakia at the yeah, time? It, 6-1 or something. And I was like, man, this is this going to be so cool. And so me and a couple of buddies, uh, Omar Zermeno and Troy Dillo, got, uh, got together, pulled our money and said, we are going to watch, uh, you know, two of these games. We went up to... RFK in DC wow. and, and caught Mexico, Norway, and uh, Holland, Saudi Arabia, and it was just the atmosphere, uh, unbelievable. I cannot wait till twenty twenty six because I want my kids, you know, to experience, to experience that. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember uh, growing up. I, I didn't watch much soccer either, but I I got to Chicago to go to school in. I started in nineteen ninety four, but it was just after the World Cup had happened, and I get into the city thinking, man, I just missed something really big. Cause being in Denver, you know, we were miles from a game. Like we, we can, yeah. I would have had to get on a plane to, to go somewhere and TV coverage and all those things, even back in the nineties, wasn't what it is today. So, um, I'm looking forward to the world cup being here as well. So yeah. to get a, to get a game as well. So, um, have you seen the documentary on, uh, uh soccer town USA? I think it's on um, YouTube. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Really no, good. I'll have to watch that. I'll have to watch that. Yeah. So getting into college, um, which college did you go to? How did you get in? Did you get yeah. a scholarship to play soccer? What? How did that work? 
Yeah, um, my dream was always to go to UVA, but I wasn't good enough. Um, and so I was just... You mean the Bruce turned you down? <laughs> he didn't even know my name. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, you know, uh, he was getting the elite of the elite players. Um, and uh, that was not me. But uh, I loved the game, was passionate, and ended up uh, going to a small Christian college um, called King College in Bristol, Tennessee, right on the... Virginia Tennessee border and uh coach Joe Hakes uh, allowed me to walk on mm. and uh walked on and went through training camp and somehow made the starting lineup by the first game and ended up scoring I think three goals in the first two games and uh wow. but they were all You're a ringer <laughs> no I mean it was they were like tap-ins you know it was like <laughs> you know the ball would you know pinball off of four players and drop right to my foot in front of the goal yeah <laughs> so I wasn't doing anything special but um you know I got uh I got to play with some uh great players King was had a pretty uh good um reputation back then in the where NA- did they play NAI NAI yeah okay. and uh I just still remember uh probably the, still the greatest player I've played with to the to this day uh, he was the captain of the Gambian national team and his name was uh, Louis Thorpe, and um, I got to be on the field with that guy day in and day out, and that was basically my role that season was to support Louis in the midfield and play defense so he wouldn't have to, and wherever he was, uh, just be close by so he would have an outlet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that was uh, that was my introduction to college soccer, and those were great memories, just riding the the vans everywhere and going and playing games on Saturdays and great times. Wow. So what are what looking back on your college career, what what would you say is a highlight? Did you was there a particular game, a moment, a goal scored? What what was the highlight from those college days? Well, uh the low light was the game um where we lost um in the district final. Uh I think just to Christian Brothers out of Memphis and gave him a great game we lost 3-2 and all three goals uh had come off of me um <laughs> there's so, a story there yeah. you can't get away from telling the story i think i've tried to repress it but um <laughs> yeah i think one was uh you know shot into me deflected changed directions on the goalkeeper another one i was standing in the wall and it glanced off of me and and went in the goal and i don't even remember the third one but it was three uh, own goals what a disaster <laughs> three yeah. nothing lost yeah. to memphis brothers three two christian three, brothers three two, oh, three, double two. overtime loss yeah. oh yeah <laughs> Devastating. more painful yeah oh jeez um good memories uh gosh just for me it was more it wasn't like a particular game it was just the the brothers coming together the camaraderie my coach, Joe Hakes, just did a great job of creating a family atmosphere. Mm. Um, decent coach. You know, I, I don't think he would even say he was the top coach in America or anything like that, but, man, he loved his players really well um, and uh, allowed us a lot of freedom um, uh, to go out and play. And uh, even even the training sessions, uh, you know, they were, they were built uh, for players. It was – we played the game a, a lot. And – so even in the off season, maybe some of those memories are the are the better ones because we lo- we all love the game so much that you know the off season would hit and we would travel all over the southeastern U.S. and go to these indoor tournaments and you know uh, for the weekend and and play. Um, 
We'd go uh, go play six aside in the spring, uh, you know, against much bigger colleges, and um, we were pretty successful. Nice, yeah. nice. So after college, where did your playing days yeah. go after that? Well, after playing for four years at King, I uh, was the assistant coach for two years, um, and that's probably where I really uh, got passionate about coaching. Um, got a job right after college in St. Louis teaching at Westminster Christian Academy. And started uh, coaching high school soccer there, and that was that was probably uh, you know foundational for me as a young man um, too, because in this school, you know, I'm in my uh, mid twenties and I'm being mentored without even knowing I'm being mentored by these godly men around me that are in their thirties, forties, fifties, and you know they just kind of took me under their arm and. Um, or under the wing, and um, really was just a period in my life where I grew as a young man, you know, and in my knowledge of Christ, uh, Becky and I had already started our family in college, so we already had two kids, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, we. I just loved coaching uh, the high school boys and teaching Spanish, and and uh, that's that's what I did for, I think, five years there. Wow. Yeah. And did you did you ever try I don't know, taking that that game anywhere else like just in terms of playing cuz you know sometimes yeah. when when you're the player and you transition to the coach it it takes some time. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight and and automatically. Oh, I was still playing um all the time men's leagues things like that and um it's funny cuz one of my Spanish uh one of my kids in Spanish class um she came to me and uh, said, "Hey, Senor," she she said, uh, "You know, my dad's the uh, or not my dad. My uncle is the assistant coach for the St. Louis Ambush, and uh, I've seen you play with the high school boys. I think you're pretty good. I think you should go try out." And I was like, "Okay." And she goes, "In fact, uh, when do you play next?" And I told her, "I think I had a game that night." And her uncle came out and watched me. Um, this was back when the ambush were making their playoff run uh, pretty deep. So uh, pause just a minute. The yeah. ambush are they? Uh, were they the pro team? Like yeah. a, oh wow, yeah, indoor it was, it outdoor? Was, it was the pro indoor team, and at that time, okay. those guys were making more money than the guys in the MLS. There were guys leaving the MLS. I remember Franklin McIntosh came over to our team, and and somebody asked him, and he's like, "Because you can make more money here." And oh, wow. um, there were fourteen thousand people coming to regular wow. season games. Uh, they're at the Keel Center, and um, so I, I went out and uh, played my men's league game and got an opportunity to go and just be basically practice squad because uh, they had a lot of injuries and just needed numbers and decent players. I, you know, those guys were way better than me. Uh, but Daryl uh, Duran, um, who was the manager and the and the player, um, he came up to me at the end of the season. He goes, Schultze, I want you to try out for the – for the team um, next year, and uh, that's a whole other story. Wow. Uh, I just told the girls soccer players this the other day um, uh, because we were talking about mentality uh, for a tryout, and uh, so I show up to this tryout on August 17th. I'd kind of run and got fit all summer, and um, and basically they had invited, they had made it an open tryout, and I didn't know that. And uh, 250 people uh, showed wow. up. I mean, there were <laughs> old guys and fat guys and young guys and uh, all Americans and 
um, you know, uh, internationals, and it was absolutely amazing. And uh, Duran grabs a big trash can and just puts it in the middle of the field. We can't even get everybody into the indoor field uh, because of, you know... <laughs> Because of how many people? How many people were there? And uh, basically, he just took like fifty at a time and blew a whistle, and we'd run from one end of the arena to the other, and uh, until guys just started peeling off or puking or leaving. And, <laughs> I mean, guys on the outside of the glass watching, you know, they they were just leaving. They in, were leaving. In I'm like, not going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the day, there were eighty of us left, and uh, you know, uh, the next day it was fifty. The next day it was like twenty, uh, and I was still alive. You know. It was old school. They didn't like bring you in and have a conversation and try to, you know, build your self esteem up. It was a list on the on the glass of who, oh man of who was still alive. Oh wow! <laughs> so come in, check the list, yeah. see if your name's on it. Yep. Suit and, up. And it got all the way down to uh, four uh, guys going for you know two spots, and I just remember fear kind of gripping my heart. Mm. And this is what I was advising the players the other day. I was like, so. I started trying to play in a way where I just wouldn't make a mistake. Mm. And really what that does is you don't play free anymore. You're not out there to make an impact anymore. Right. And and so that's what I was talking to the girls about, you know, uh, in their tryouts and in, in, in their, you know, upcoming season. Are they going to be daring or are they going to just mm. try to not make mistakes? Because that was the end of me. The two guys that played free made the team and the other two of us didn't. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I think that was a great learning lesson, uh, for me. Wow. Wow. To come down to the final four and have that shot. Like, yeah. I mean, what were we talking here? Like, are these contracts big enough? You could have left your job and, and <laughs> I mean, no. soccer's grown over the years. No, but. the way it worked was there's a few guys that make all the money that yeah. were the stars. I mean, the Joe Reinigers and, uh, uh, gosh, uh, who was the goalkeeper at the time? Um, can't remember his name, but uh, Daryl Duran himself. Uh, and they made a lot of money on camps uh, during okay. the summers. Um, but then the bulk of the team, you know, were like guys would get their apartment paid for or something. You know? Or free beer after a game or uh, something. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> or during the game. <laughs> during- <laughs> I, I, I recently read an article Oh, was it on The Athletic? Something about uh, these guys who had a, a dream of doing an indoor soccer miniseries on TV. Uh-huh. i got to shoot you the article because it's so funny. I wonder if it would bring back any memories. But it, just some of the things that they were trying to entice people into, I, I wonder if any of that was part of your experience as well. Well, they, they invited me to go through the season again with them, you know. Practice uh, squad. As a practice squad, and yeah. I, I did it. And, you know, I grew tremendously as a player, but I remember some of those moments and experiences with the team uh even during the preseason I went to uh, I think we were playing the Milwaukee Wave you know and I'm still trying to make the team Mm. um and we go into the locker room for half and uh you know I'm expecting like to for Daryl to get you know uh you know angry with the team because I think we were down a few points and um all of a sudden like the star of the team I'm not going to use his name but uh, the star of the team is just like walking on a treadmill during halftime and uh, unrolls his sleeves and pulls out a cigarette and lights up a cigarette. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm trying to make the team, and, and, and this guy is... Yeah, he's just laying back. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's already made the team. He's one of the best players in indoor soccer, oh, uh, probably one of the best players in the world at the time, and, and he's smoking a cigarette. And, uh, you know, after that, he hops off and puts his 
feet up, you know, on another chair. No and, big deal. And, and cracks a beer and chugs a beer at halftime. And I'm oh. like, what is going on? I'm just trying to make this team, dude. It, You're- it was a different. <laughs> it was a different generation back then. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. And especially on the professional side, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't see that today for sure. And so that was the beautiful thing with all the indoor places all over St. Louis was like there was such a community and camaraderie, and all the guys would all those indoor places would have a bar and the guys would just go grab a, you know, a drink together afterwards. Sure. Sure. Hang out. Yeah. Well, they call St. Louis soccer city, don't they? Yeah. And, uh, they're getting their, their pro franchise here pretty soon. So, well, Brian, tell us a little bit more about, um, the coaching now. So you, you kind of pick it up at King college. You're an assistant for a couple of years. You start coaching at Westminster Christian Academy. Um, at what point in your timeline up to this point, was there a moment when you you realized I was made to do this? This is this is who I am. Did you was there ever a moment and, and maybe there wasn't, but was there a moment where you're like, God made me to be a coach? Well, I mean, I think that moment had already happened for me because I was a pre law major in college and just needed a break after having started my family and going straight into coaching high school and teaching high school and I fell so in love with it I was like I don't even want to go to law school anymore so um and that five years at Westminster is when I really started getting into more of the philosophy of coaching and some of the methods and fell in love with Dutch soccer Mm. and started reading all the books and just couldn't get enough um and kind of modeled a lot of my coaching after that and then really we moved to Colorado um in 2002 and I got on right away with the Colorado Rush and that was absolutely foundational instrumental to me you know uh, becoming a more professional coach tell tell us about the transition because I you know maybe it's an assumption but St. Louis hotbed of soccer yeah you come to Colorado what what's Colorado like is it a is it a more sparse landscape for soccer at the time or, or, or was it just as vibrant in terms of quality of, of athlete? Like tell, describe for us a little bit of the difference between St. Louis and coming to Colorado. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't notice, um, a whole lot of difference. Um, I, I feel like soccer binds people, um, and you know, wherever they are. And I had that in St. Louis and got it instantly and, in Denver, in fact, the the day that I moved here, I, uh, you know, I was looking for jobs and found uh, found a place to play, and that's how I met the guys at, over at the Rush, and uh, we were playing at the old Denver Sports Center, which I don't I think just went away this year. I was bought out by a church, and we, um, you know, we played that night, and then afterwards, the guys were like, "Hey, you know, um, who are you? Where are you from?" Mm-hmm. and uh, and that's you know that's the cool thing about soccer is you can go anywhere and if you if you can play the game uh, you're gonna have a, a community around you and so you know I began uh, got my foot in the door over at the Rush and started coaching there. So you start coaching club there, uh-huh. um, and what where were you working at the time? Did you transfer into a different school? Were you teaching? Yeah, yeah I got a, ended up getting a job at Eagle Crest High School. Um, Were you coaching soccer there too? Uh, did some JV soccer and then helped out with the varsity and then became the varsity coach for one year. That was kind of over a five-year period, 2002 to 2007. And 
but my main gig that whole time was uh, coaching boys, uh, you know, high school boys, U16 to U18 over at the Rush. And, okay. Uh, Tim Schultz, um, Eric Boucher, Andrew Coomer, Paul Bravo, actually, oh, wow. uh, from yeah. the Rapids, who you know. Um, all those guys were over there. Wes Hart, uh, Mike Pasercio, who are now down in Alabama uh, coaching women's soccer. And it was uh, it was just it was a beautiful time to be part of the club. And I uh, learned so much from those guys. And, um, you know, the Rush way. Uh, that was actually when it was just the Colorado Rush right before it launched and went into you know i think there's it's in over 30 states and 30 countries now wow yeah wow Wow. so you got to be a part of that kind of on the ground floor special as it was launching yeah awesome awesome so from eagle crest uh tell us tell us what happened after eagle crest yeah um was feeling called even though i enjoyed you know teaching and coaching there i was feeling called back into faith-based coaching um and at the exact same time, Valor Christian High School was, was being built and opened, and I got a teaching job, and coaching uh, was still over at the Colorado Rush at the time. I actually didn't coach any soccer here the first two years that I was here. And Did they have soccer? They did, but they were just starting the program. I think the first year they had like 10 guys. Wow. And, um, you know... Uh, it was uh, it was a long, slow uh, build um, because out of those ten guys, I think only five had even played before. Um, so <laughs> it was it was a crazy time, and um, so I had a really good gig and a good team over at the Rush at the time. So I just kept doing that and teaching here. And uh, then in the third year, the school was open. Uh, they kind of approached me. Uh, some of the other coaches had moved on to other things and said asked me if I'd be willing to coach and I just remembered what an incredible time I had back at Westminster teaching and coaching from a faith perspective you know where the end game wasn't soccer itself but that was just a platform to you know um, talk about your faith and to you know lead young men in their faith yeah yeah so that's um, I jumped at the chance and uh, and did that so what year was that that you started then? Was that 2009? Um, it would have been 2009, yeah. Wow. First wow. season. And uh, we're going on 2021, so, and that's, what, 12, 12 years, 13 yeah. years here. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Well, Brian, you, you've you've been now coach at Westminster and at Valor. You talked about faith-based coaching here. Tell us a little bit more about your own journey of faith. Um, did you grow up as a as a Christian, did you grow up uh, knowing Jesus? Like, what what was that like? Yeah, I absolutely um, uh, came to faith at a young age. Uh, I, I say absolutely because it was. Uh, I just still remember to this day this moment. My my parents were new Christians. Um, they had been invited to Maranatha Baptist Church there in Princeton, West Virginia, and Pastor Wallace Smith. Uh, shared the gospel with my parents, and um, you, you know they they uh, accepted Christ as their Savior, and it changed the way our family operated. We began to go to church, and um, I remember my mom sharing the gospel with me, and I understood even at five years old that hey, I'm marred by sin. I need a Savior. Um, Jesus lived the perfect life as the Son of God and as God Himself, and. Uh, and provided the sacrifice we needed on the cross. And I remember praying to Jesus to to come into my life and save me. And um, 
you know, at that point, even as a young kid, I was like, I wanted everybody to know Jesus. So I was mm. telling all my friends and, um, you know, uh, my family and I probably drifted a little bit in the middle school years and high school years. Um, and, uh, and for me that led to probably some really poor choices the first couple of years of college. And why do, why do you think the drift? I mean, I mean, can you pinpoint yeah. anything? Um, I think there were hard times in our family. There were some economic things. We had a couple moves in there from West Virginia to Richmond, Virginia, back to Withville, Virginia. Um, and so our connection to the church wasn't as strong. Um, you know, anytime you move, you just have to rebuild everything, right? Yeah, Your friendships yeah. and everything. And, um, you know, some, I think there were some difficult things inside my family too. Um, just basic dysfunction that, you know, every family has it. And, um, my mom was always a stalwart of prayer and faith. And my dad was always working incredibly hard to provide for the family. And, um, you know, we just, in those high school years, just got away from it. So Brian, at what, at what point did, did your faith start to influence your football or, or your life in a, in a broader sense? Like you talked about some tough years at college, but was it during college that there was a little bit of a shift or, or what, what kind of for you made the shift where all of a sudden maybe coming back to faith coming or, or realizing your faith in a different way, um, started living life differently? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it, it was a journey, right? Um, freshman year of college, uh, just really got into partying and, um, had to do it kind of behind closed doors, uh, off campus cause it was actually a Christian school and they didn't tolerate that. And, um, I just kind of fell into the trap, you know, when, when you, when, when Satan shows you a lifestyle, he doesn't show you the negative consequences. He shows you mm. the shiny part. And I was seeing all the fun and, and the shiny part and just the, you know, I, I remember having this conscientious conversation with God saying, all right, God, you stay over there in the corner for four years while I go and have my fun. And then I'll go back to serving you. Mm. And, um, you know, the God of the universe, I put him in the corner. Yeah, um, yeah. And, um, you know, just as I, the, the, the pain began to come, the choices that I was making, the consequences of the party lifestyle, uh, just all of it, you know, began to take place and it was a hard road for two years. And actually, um, you know, uh, the, the woman I'm married to today, we, uh, she actually helped pull me out of that. She was a woman of strong faith, and um, I fell in love with her more so than I did with uh, with the party life. And I think that was a gift from God, and that was really the transition, uh, you know, back to faith toward me about my junior year. Mm. So, and then from then, you know, it was it was really uh, um, just about trying to learn more uh, about faith and about God and about church life. And, um, and that, was, uh, that was an amazing time of growth for me in, in those last uh, three years of the six years of college. So how has that faith today influenced your, your coaching, the way you take on the, the camaraderie of the team, the community of the, the programs that you, you oversee today? Yeah. Well, I have a story, and everybody has a story, so... 
you can minister in different ways. I, you know, I feel like you know some people have the story of man, I've been, uh, I found Christ and I've been faithful and all of my life, and here are my spiritual disciplines and how I live, and I think that resonates with a certain <laughs> group and and kid. And then there's the guys with stories like mine where. Hey, they went down a, a road and a path, and it wasn't good. And they learned from learned from it. And now I get to use those uh, opportunities to minister to young men as they make decisions, you know. And so I've kind of had both of those stories. I've had the the more mature Christian story, uh, you know, post college, um, and get to share that with my boys and girls. And I've also got the when they screw up, I've, I can identify. You can identify. Yeah. Sure, sure. It probably lends you to have a little bit of grace for when they do, when they do screw up. I've been given a lot of grace, so I better, I better extend it. Yeah, yeah. Good model for that. Well, um, Ryan, like you talked about sort of in those early years, like reading every book about Dutch soccer and tell us a little bit more about what has influenced your coaching philosophy from a soccer standpoint what how has that grown and morphed and like do you idolize anyone out there today do you like model yourself after anyone's game what what does that look like yeah the early years it was the books and studying and trying it out on my own um and then also taking the stuff I, we were doing you know at the at the pro indoor level and and building that into my high school practices and just love loving the game um that morphed into when we moved to Colorado more of it was probably the influences that I was um, uh, experiencing over at Colorado Rush, uh, as we like the Rush way was, yeah, the was Rush pretty way influential. And, and I mean, that's when it was all being formed and you know uh, put into books and, and and things like that. And so I owe uh, you know a huge debt of gratitude uh, to those guys because uh, I learned a lot with them. And then um, really since then, uh, so the last. 10 to 12 years for me it's been uh, the national convention it's been about reading books like the messiah method um more coaching philosophy here at valor we we have a pretty robust uh you know program uh with the valor coaches associations where we get um you know a lot of um i I guess uh, professional development um from other coaches and speakers and authors all the time. And uh, and for me, probably the last five years, it's been the pro game. I just I try to watch three to five games a week, um, usually late at night, so I <laughs> don't um, you know, interrupt family time and just try to glean from what they're doing. Uh, obviously, I'm you know this, I'm a huge Guardiola fan. <laughs> so people ask me if I'm a Man City fan, and, well, I am while he's there. I was also a Bayern fan while he was there, and I still love how Bayern play. And Barca before that, I, I think I'm a fan of just great soccer, and that's why I, you know, how can you like Man City and Liverpool? Well, Liverpool's playing great soccer, so I love, as a coach, just watching sure. them and trying to, you know, I'll go back in and, and find videos of Klopp's training and, you know, or Guardiola stuff. And so, to, so, so stop there for a minute. Guardiola, yeah. t- tell us a little bit, like, what are some of the characteristic things, maybe for someone who doesn't understand or appreciate the game uh, as, as well as you do? What, what are some key characteristics that you say, hey, when you watch a Man City game, when you watch one of these teams coached by Pep, this is what you look for because this is how you know that they're playing Pep style. They're they're playing his. Well, the his first influence. thing, yeah, uh, first thing I tried to pick up on was, 
I had always seen soccer where it was so cautious coming out of the back that you get under pressure. It was just, you know, send it forward. The goalkeeper would always send it forward, and mm. Pep brought that Spanish. That's, that's how I played as a kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, even even here in the States, the, at the highest levels 10, 10 years ago, it was, you know, they didn't mess around with it in the back. And, and when the ball was dropped to a keeper, uh, uh, more often than not, it was sent over the midline, you know, uh, than it was built out of the back. And so I think that's that's probably the key thing that I noticed uh, uh, right away when I started watching um, his coaching styles and methods and his teams. And and so I've I've tried to bring that into the high school game. And How long have you been building out of the back, so to speak, here at Valor? Yeah, probably uh, five or six years now. Okay. Um, and was that a tough transition to go from? maybe a former coaching way yeah. the keepers weren't ready for it I sure. can tell you that so um we actually had a season on the boys side where we turned a field player into a keeper so that we could do it and we we're like this is we're putting a stake in the ground and we're gonna we're gonna figure out how to do this and, and you have to have out, good feet build to, out under to pressure build out. absolutely yeah. yeah and um you know we've you know, to try and produce what they're doing at a pro level with pro players and, and pro touch and pro technical ability is impossible at the high school level. But, you know, we've dumbed it down for our for our guys and try to make it a, a, a manageable thing. And we do have a really strong style uh, when we play against other teams. And, you know, they've adjusted to that. They send more, more players forward to try and uh, get us to send it long and, and to not build out. Or some teams actually will just drop off and let us have it back there because you know we got so proficient at it yeah so what do you find the the challenge in terms of coaching you mentioned some of them but what's the challenge of of coaching that style at the high school level where else do you do you kind of encounter you know the rock and the hard place so to speak well the players have got to know in training that they can make mistakes you can't yell at them for <laughs> for turning the ball over if you're demanding that they build from the back, mm. um, and so that's that's one of the key, you know. Key is there is there moments. a balance to that as a coach? Because I mean, sometimes a mistake can be pretty costly to the team. Is there? Well, and it can be back there, and so that's why I'm saying in training, um, and obviously you have to have plenty of time to work on this before you ever get to your first game. Uh, but we've defined. Uh, you know the build out into uh or the you know the possession of the ball into four phases we have like phase one coming out of the back with the back spread and you're in a really dangerous position and you know how do the six eight and ten help um help those backs and the and the keeper uh, come out with the ball and then after uh after we get comfortable and can move the ball and you get the backs a little higher up the field now we enter phase two, and we're trying to really combine with the sevens, nines, and elevens, and play players through with when there's a ton of space still behind the the defense, uh, you know, 50 yards. And then phase three is when we're beginning to dominate possession, dictate play. We go back when we need to. We go forward when we can. There's less space behind that back line, and so now it's about possession until we find the opportunity to slot a ball instead of, you know, over the top. Um, and then phase four is that final piece where we're, we've got a team pinned in uh, with our possession uh, and what risks are we going to take and how do we mitigate those risks uh, in trying to get into the, you know, the final opportunity. Wow. Wow. So you, you break it down for them. And, and then that gives 
I imagine some palatable ways to even coach and train and, and teach that uh, for the guys. Yeah, uh, and we demand it from our JV team, and and you know on the girls' side we have three teams, and so hopefully that they're you know they're tracking that all the way up through their development, and so when they get to me, it's expected and known and already rehearsed and practiced, and so we get to refine it more than teach it. Um, but with high school, the challenge of the of the game is it's not like club where all these kids are on a U11 team together and then they learn their lessons and they move up and maybe a, one or two players drop off and one or two players are added. Um, you know, and so U11 through U18, they can possess and get better and perfect these things. Um, but at the high school level, you've got every year, you know, five to ten seniors rolling off the top, ten to 15 players coming in as freshmen. You've got kids moving from the JV to varsity, so you have to almost rebuild this every year, and so that's why we use our summer and our preseason. You know, uh, we work hard at, at that uh, at, at that phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, um, you know, throughout our preseason. Yeah, I imagine that's been a challenge just even being a high school coach is the amount of just the regular turnover. It's just something you've got to get accustomed to and get ready for. You You don't have the chance to hold on to people so long do you it it is a challenge and I think you know I think high school coaches um you know having coached at club and high school each one of them has their own challenges and I think that's that's one of the things that high school coaches should be proud of and you know uh, it is a difficult thing uh for those that can do it well well, any other key characteristics that you you pull out of Pep's uh, coaching style or, or his way of doing doing the game that, that you might highlight for your own your own valor programs here without without giving the total scouting report to all your all your opponents? Not that I I, I doubt a bunch of high school coaches are going to be listening to the podcast, but who knows? Well, I mean, how do you how do you take Pep's career and and put it into a, a podcast? Um, you can't. I mean, I, I think one of the other keys that that's um they they value possession so much that it translates even into their defense if you watch them on a on a throw-in on an opponent's throw-in they will have almost all 10 field players within about 30 yards of the ball Mm. they will take that risk because they want the ball back there they want to win their throw-ins they hardly ever lose one um and they've developed ways to do that um, to cycle the the midfield runs, uh, you'll you'll notice this year as pl- as more and more teams have have copied them and try to come in and press a throw in. Um, you know they'll have a, a longer throw throw in that it lands almost to the middle of the field to to the one guy that everybody forgot about. Um, mm. But uh, you know that's that's something that we've translated here at Valor where we try to um, we want to win all of our throw ins and all of theirs and. A win for us on offense is probably getting three passes because uh, normally by the third pass you can break pressure. Um, and, and so we, you know, we pride ourselves on that or at least try. That's, that's great. That's great. Well, Coach, now for just a little bit of fun. Um, you follow Jesus, and so I imagine, and I've, I've kind of prepped you a little bit with this, but um, you know that Jesus called 12 guys to follow him closely. These guys lived they ate together, they slept, they breathed together for a number of intense, tense years with Jesus. And so what I want to do in this little exercise is take these disciples of Jesus, and uh, I've, I've given you a few 
descriptions and just kind of remind you about them. Um, and I want to put them into a formation. Now, we, we haven't talked too much yet about your formation, your preferred formation, but what is your preferred formation? I, maybe it's situational, maybe it's circumstantial, but like if you had your druthers, what formation would you want to play with? Definitely a four-three-three. I mean, it, it lends itself to the possession attacking style soccer. Um, it can be easily converted into a four-five-one on defense. You can use those uh, sevens and elevens in different ways. You can keep them wider in defense to keep outside backs from going forward. You can pinch them in to give you an extra center midfield presence. Uh, you can take that middle triangle and invert the triangle and get the single six and the double ten, or you can go double six with a single attacking. So whoever your opponent is, I just feel like it's it's such a, an adaptable uh, system. Okay. So Okay. Yeah, all four right. three three, man, all the way. So so we're gonna put your we're gonna put these guys into a four three three system, or you're going to. <laughs> And uh, well, see, Jesus isn't on the field. I know everybody wants Jesus on the field because they'd win. Uh, So Jesus isn't on the field. And I've, I've told you, we need to leave Judas off because he was a traitor. So now we're down to 11. We're down to 11. So we're going to put these 11 apostles, these 11 disciples into, uh, into the formation. So um, you can run through the numbers, um, yeah, let's let's do this. So, uh, go ahead and start. Uh, who who do you have in goal? Wait, wait, wait a minute. I got to hear your formation before we go any further. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Well. All right. So I'm a chaplain. I'm not a coach, right? Uh, so my formation would be a four three three as well. Okay. Is that is that fair? Or sometimes I favor a four four two with a diamond midfield. So I was going to say, I, f- I figured you would be more traditional. Maybe even have it like a a sweeper yeah. uh, back there behind the three fullbacks. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not that old school. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's go. I'm going to, wh- what we'll do here is I'll read uh, the disciple, a little description of them, and then you're going to put them in your lineup and then I'll put them in mine. How's right. that sound? Yeah, okay. That's great. Let's start with maybe the most well-known guy, Simon Peter. Okay. So Jesus said he's going to build his foundation of the church with Simon's faith and conviction. Uh, Simon's the guy who lost out on a foot race to the tomb with John the Beloved. He's a fisherman, bit of a tough guy. He really wanted to fight everyone uh, when he was pushed into a corner. So where do you have Simon Peter? I don't know. Just, I mean, he cut off the the dude's ear in the garden. Uh, So uh, he's fierce, man. Like He reminds me of Luis Suarez. So... Uh. (laughs) He's got oh he's got to be my nine. <laughs> he's gonna be your nine. He's got a little nasty oh, to him, geez. and you don't always have to be the fastest guy in the nine. That's probably more important out on the wings. You know, oh. Seven eleven. Okay, so. okay, okay. For me, I've got Simon Peter. I put Simon Peter in the six because he's gritty. He's a fighter. He's my central defensive midfielder who's gonna fight in front of the front four or the back four and just kind of help him out. So I've I've got Simon Peter well, at probably, the six. You'll probably have him till the first. First half, maybe. Gets the red card. <laughs> Gets the yellow or red card. All right. All right. So moving on. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So and- Andrew actually introduced Simon to Jesus. He introduced some other people to Jesus. Uh, like one was a, a little a little boy with five loaves and two fish. The Greek worshipers, he introduced them to Philip. Um, and there was uh, there's other stories. Also, he partnered up with Paul after the resurrection. So where do you have Andrew? 
Well, I think he's pretty versatile. Uh, I mean, you listed off all those things that he does. Uh, I, I think I see him as a connector and a disruptor out there okay. on the field. Okay. So I've got him in the eight. He's probably the link, uh, you know, in the midfield between the six and the ten. Okay, okay. Yeah. I I had him as a ten, just being that distributor, you know, passing the ball off, getting it up. All right, not to the forwards, off. to the wingers. Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving on, uh, James, son of Zebedee. Okay, this guy's a fisherman. Dad had the family business. His mom, Salome, asked for her sons to be given powers of position in Jesus' kingdom. Yeah. He's known as James the Greater. I don't, I don't know why, but he's known as James the Greater. Where, where do you have James? Well, he's greater because he's tall, so he's going to be my center back. And uh, okay. he and his brother, uh, John, they're the sons of Zebedee or the sons of Thunder, I yeah. think they're known. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to have those type of guys in the back line. So those Ooh. are my two center backs. Okay. Okay. So, so you just you called out John there as well. Okay. So I took James because of his size. Um, I took him as my goalkeeper, actually, because I All was right. like, I want a tall goalkeeper, yeah. you know, a fisherman. He's probably, he works with his hands, so he's probably <laughs> skilled with, like, just being able to catch things. Yeah. No pun intended there, being yeah. a fisherman, but okay. And then uh, John, John, son of Zebedee. So uh, brother to James, he's quick, he's fast. We know he beat Peter out in a race to the tomb, president Jesus' death on the cross. So I have him as my nine. That's okay. that's where I have James. James. All right. Well, and I like that speed for the center back position. Okay. So, okay. So John I, and James together, they know each other inside out. They're brothers. All right. So, all right. I'll, I'll give you that. On a boat together. That's, that's they can command. Oh they can my command gosh. The team from the back. <laughs> that's that's actually a good good call. Okay. Next we got we got Philip from Bethsaida. He had a Greek name. Um, he was tested by Jesus. He seems tight with Andrew. He makes some uh, connections with some Greek worshipers. Close to the end, Philip asked Jesus to simply show him the way to the Father. So who's, who do you got? Where do you have Philip? I got him out on the seven. He's, uh, he's a winger, and he's, uh, you know, he's going to find his way to the goal Okay, okay. for me. So, you know, I think... So he uh, as a seven. I think, I think he is... Serving uh, a ball in or, every once in a while and getting yeah, upfield. Yeah, I think he's out there to show the way. Oh, okay. Well, because he asked for the way, because he's tight with Andrew, uh, I've I've got him more in the middle because I think, you know, the connection between Simon Peter and Andrew, uh, Andrew's my 10. Yeah. I, I have him actually in the eight position. I've got Philip in the eight position. Okay. Well. Okay. All right. Okay. Next up is Nathaniel. Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew in some places, found by Philip. He originally wondered if there's anything good that could come from Jesus' hometown Um, because it was so insignificant, Nazareth was. Jesus remarked of Nazareth, he was a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. So um, I think this is maybe a nod to Nathaniel, maybe knowing his stuff. But where do you have Nathaniel? Well, just under that description that you gave me, I put him in the six. Uh, I think he's dependable. I mean, if, okay. if did you say Jesus uh, said, oh, yeah, Jesus remarked that he's a true Israelite. Yeah. And if, if he's saying that, then he's your box-to-box, uh, oh, you know, uh, oh. player. He he knows how to run run the whole show. Folks, here's where you can see the difference between a chaplain and a coach. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So you got Nathaniel in the six. I, I had him in the seven. So, okay. Yeah. You know. um, all right, Matthew. Originally a tax collector, but hated by his fellow countrymen. Um he was he interestingly enough he wasn't in charge of the treasury for Jesus and his crew, um, but he was known for hanging around a, a, a group of pretty seedy people. He's the author of one of the gospels, wrote it in Greek, so we know he's educated. Where do you have Matthew? 
without a doubt, he's my goalkeeper. The guy, uh, the the guy is un unfazed. I mean, people hated him, and he didn't care. Um, so, you so you're going for you like the goalie psycho guy. mentality. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all about mentality. This you can't hold this guy back. He's going to find a way to get it done. Okay. And keepers have got to be, you know, they got to be ready to do that. And, I, I figured Matthew probably lived his life on the run, and he was probably uh, maybe not on the tallest of sides, so I put him in an 11, <laughs> 11 spot. All right. So I figured he was quick, or he had to be quick, right, because he was so hated. Yeah. Uh, all right, next is Thomas. Thomas, big-time doubter. He was always saying that he would believe it when he, when he saw it. Um, he wanted to know the way Jesus was going. Seems like he always needed to know the plan and get it sorted out. So where do you, where do you have Thomas? Well, see, that's the difference here is in a pro 4-3-3, you're going to have incredibly high-quality players in the 7-11, and sometimes at the high school level, that's where you can actually, uh, you know, put a player that's more dependent uh, okay. to get the ball. And so with his doubting, um, you know, that's about the only story we really have on him in, in the Gospels. So I just felt like I didn't want him in a central role, uh, uh, so I kind of got him out there. You didn't want him screwing up. Yeah, but he's probably not going to do a whole lot for us. <laughs> <laughs> so what what position do you have him in? Yeah, I've got I've got him in the 11 uh, out on the left winger. Uh, so <laughs> You don't think highly of your left your left well, wings, do you? Uh, on my team, I do. I've got great <laughs> players out there. <laughs> but throw Thomas the doubter out yeah, there. I, uh, had, I had to hide him in oh, this formation. Man. So see, <laughs> you're not going to hide him we, in the back here line. Here we go. I don't have many places <laughs> left, but I I have him as a, a two. So I have him as my my right wing oh, back. Oh mercy! Uh, yeah, that I might Let's, I might get slaughtered. Yeah. Uh, unless we're playing your your left wing back. Let's see what Raheem Sterling <laughs> we'll, does. We'll to do that okay. Guy. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> uh, folks, this is where all all parallels eventually break down for sure. And and I am. Uh, uh, anyway, when we get to heaven, I guess we'll see, right? We'll see how they line up for true. All right, um, Simon the Zealot. Uh, this guy's religiously uh, zealous, a member of the political party, violently opposed to Roman rule in the day. Uh, many different traditions have different stories around his work and death. Where did you put Simon the Zealot? He's a zealot. He's unpredictable. He's okay. he's He's got flair. He's going to... He's going to be the the guy that's got to have the freedom to roam, um, and so I put him in the ten. Okay. And you know, kind of like how they uh, over at City allowed De Bruyne to move all over the field and have that freedom to create. I'm gonna. That's who I've got. That's where I've got Simon the Zealot. Okay. Uh, I had him. I had him as a five. So I have him as a, a center back. Okay. I just want his passion and his zeal. I want. I want kind of that. That could work. Or creating a, a strong spine yeah. uh, up up the field. All right, all right. So next we got James, son of Alpheus. He's known as James the Younger or James the Lesser. Um, it was his mom, Mary, who was present when Jesus died on the cross. Tradition holds that he preached the gospel and was martyred in Egypt. So where do you, where do you have James? Well, he grew up with Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say he's going to be at right back, critical position. He's gonna, you know, he's got to be able to defend the faith. He's got to be able to attack mm. in the faith, and he's seen it all from Jesus. So, I feel like the those outside backs, especially in my four three three, they've got to be very, you know, uh, versatile players. Okay, okay. I had him as my left back, so um, oh, not too far. Yeah, not too far off. I, 
man, listening to you, maybe maybe we should have con- consorted first to kind of figure some of these these guys out. But this is fun. Okay, last guy, Thaddeus. Uh, he's also known as Jude. We don't know much about him. Uh, there's some debate about whether he authored the New Testament book of Jude, whether he was a half-brother for Jesus. Tradition says that he and Bartholomew brought Christianity to the area of Armenia. So where do you have Thaddeus in your lineup? Yeah, with that idea of bringing bringing Christianity to Armenia, I mean, he had to travel. So, and like I said, my outside backs love to attack and move up the pitch. And okay, okay. They do it very strategically. You know? All right. Um, All right. So I've got him at left back. All right. Um, I had Thaddeus at uh, center back on the right side, so maybe he's he's there supporting uh, supporting my big doubting right back. I don't know. <laughs> oh well, a fun little exercise, just kind of to. Designed and determined. So, so Brian, when you when you trot out Valor uh, for this next season, are you, do you guys play in a four three three? What what's your typical formation? You guys you guys play with? You know, um, it's going to depend on the personnel. Okay. Um, last year, we uh, definitely um, uh, with the girls were going to play in a four three three, and then lost the season uh, to COVID. It's disrupted a lot of stuff, but. Um, uh, it was going to be a very defensive four-three-three for us last year. Probably more like a four-five-one um, with that with the middle three in a triangle and shifting back and forth defensively um, to try and lock balls in on the sideline. But um, you know, for for this year, I think we're going to be much more in a traditional attacking four-three-three. We got uh, a lot of speed, a lot of uh, high-quality players on both the boys and the girls, and so you know, I'm going to. Uh, ask them to uh, defend uh, in a high press, and uh, there'll be times for a middle block or low block. But we we want the ball uh, with this kind of a team. We need to have the ball. So sure, sure. Now, are there a tremendous amount of differences between the boys' side and the girls' side when it comes to soccer here in Colorado? Or uh, what what are some of the key uh, differences that maybe make you get away from? your own personal coaching philosophy or where you want to kind of lead the program? Is it, is it based on opponents you've got in the league or um, just how difficult it is to get through a season? What, what are some of those factors well, for you? Well, the league's always important. I mean, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to go anywhere in the, in the playoffs, you got to come out of your league with a, with a good record and a good seating. Um, so those games are, are super important. And I feel like we're, really evenly matched in a lot of our games um you know last year we had some uh, great games against quality opponents and beat them and then we uh you know uh in our league at least we we lost a game to a team that was a 53rd ranked team in the state hmm. <laughs> last year and so that's that's how competitive it is um you know on any given night and that's the beauty of soccer um, yeah yeah is trying to figure that out yeah game by game night by night yeah that's some of the fun spots and places for a coach, I imagine. So, well, Brian, thanks for being on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure. I I don't know how well at least I did with this placement. It'd be interesting to to uh, maybe find out someday, like where guys <laughs> <laughs> might have played if they knew about the game of soccer. But um, yeah, Brian, could I ask you to kind of close us with a prayer as we as we walk away from the podcast today? Absolutely. Father, in this uh, Christmas season, um, here in 2020, it's been a challenging year, and God, this year has been from your hand. Uh, You have worked in it. You've drawn people to yourself through it. 
Um, and Lord, we give you praise. And we also remember uh, that uh, Jesus came because we need a Savior. And so, God, I pray that as we celebrate with family and uh, with friends and um, as we continue uh, through uh, the end of this pandemic, Lord, I just pray that you would walk with us, that you would guide us, that we would uh, step into 2021 with full trust for you. But Lord, that we would have eyes for the things that you see, um, for the things that you care about. And uh, God, I just uh, thank you for Soccer Chaplains United and pray your blessing upon them financially um, and uh, in ministry, Lord, as they uh, go about the important work of supporting athletes and teams and coaches all across the globe. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, everyone, this is Reb Brad and Brian Schultz coming to you from the touchline. Mm-hmm.